Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We're going to be catching up with Wallabies scrum half Nick White after their win over Scotland at Murrayfield, as well as looking forward to the Autumn Nations series. Plus, we'll be chatting about some big developments in the Prem. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You boys out trick-or-treating tonight? Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Yes, we're recording on Halloween. And I will be going trick-or-treating with the twins as soon as we finish this recording. Because what better time of year is there than free sweets? And basically, I'll be sending the kids to every house looking as cute as they can. And I'll be asking them to put their hands in the pot to get as many sweets as they can because it's all for daddy. So yes, my my sugar (laughs) content will go up hugely this evening. And the kids will eat one sweet and I'll eat about 100. So I can't wait, to be honest. Jim, you going up dressed up? Well, mine's been kiboshed a bit. Someone came up to back in the street and said, is Jim wearing a werewolf outfit on Halloween? And she was like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And her response was, no, he only wears that in the bedroom, no? Well, she, like, she came back to me and she said, I'm all embarrassed. Like, what's happened? I said, don't worry. I said, don't worry about it. But 10 o'clock, the werewolf's coming out. Is all I know. <laughs> Good weekend, though. Jim, you were at Murrayfield, weren't you? I was. Hell of a week in the lead-up, actually. I went to watch, and I don't know why this is relevant to rugby. It's not, but maybe it is because we've got a few live shows in the pipeline. Not that I'm comparing myself to Robbie Williams, who I went to see on Thursday. But it's worth mentioning that I went to see Robbie Williams because... Goody, will you take that take that fan or not? Oh, massively, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. take that. Every live show he sings take that, don't you? Oh, good. of course. He sings Angels. <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah. he does. I sing Oasis. Fucking yeah. hell. I mean, stereotypical, isn't we? Let's be honest. Stereotypical. I'm 38. You're 52. White men. Like, of that generation. <laughs> like, we are. Oasis and uh, take that. But yeah, I went to watch Robbie Williams, the great entertainer. He was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's had his lid done. He's lost a bit of weight for his live live tour. And I've just taken inspiration, Goody, for our live tour that's going to happen in the Six Nations. So I'll maybe keep it in the back pocket. I don't want to ruin it. But I'm thinking sparkly velvet tops. I'm thinking more tattoos. I'm thinking angels plus others, songs that we can sing alongside that as well. And I can't even think of the songs. But rock DJ. I've got a question for you then, Jim. So Robbie Williams tickets. Whose idea was it? It's got to be Beck's idea. She's like, oh, Jim, can you can you take me to watch Robbie Williams? And then she sat there just having the best night of her life, didn't she? She, she was singing and dancing all night. I was like, I didn't even think you knew who Robbie Williams was. Like, what's going on here? So I was just sat there. But no, it was her idea for my birthday, which is a bit weird. But I absolutely loved it. So big shout out to Beth. The werewolf's coming out at 10. And big shout out to Robbie Williams as well. So I went to that. And then, as you mentioned, Andy Rowe, and you asked me about the game, I was at Murrayfield at the weekend hosting. It's not over the Jim Hamilton suite yet there. They're still warming to me a little bit, the union, because I've asked where Finn is. Rabbit game. Oh. That as well. There's a few things. So it's not quite the Jim Hamilton suite, but it's the Cameron Hoose, the Cameron Hoose business club. But yeah, I was there. I'd, I, I was going to say I had front row seats. I didn't. I was in the nosebleed seats. So until I got home and watched the game, it was difficult to get a perspective on it, which actually meant I could enjoy the game with friends. So I was watching the game with a few mates and... Yeah, it was a weird old atmosphere in the stadium. It, it started so good. Kenny Logan brought the match ball out. What a legend he is. He was there naturally and obviously with Gabby Logan, who was doing the Amazon Prime at the weekend with his kids as well. He ran the match ball out. The energy was high. It was a half-five kickoff. And then, yeah, it was just a bit of a weird weird atmosphere, really. Calm before the storm. We're not bothered about Australia. We've beaten them loads. We've beaten them like three out of five. 
got Fiji at the weekend, Malama them, and then it's the it's all about the All Blacks in Game Three. So maybe that the fans kind of picked up on that that we're beating them comfortably. We probably need to lose to them because we ain't lost them for a long time. So. But yeah, no, it was good. It was good to be there with a few mates. Big shout out to the Hasta lads as well. Their events company went out with them after. Jesus Christ, it was late. No taxis running. No taxis, there was no buses. Ooh. Couldn't get home, could I? What time did you get in? Yeah, I mean, well, the clocks went back, which I didn't realise, so it could have been about half four, but <laughs> it was meant to be half three. Yeah, but there was no buses. There was no buses or taxis, so I effectively had to walk. That's what took me so long. Before we get into the game and unpick it like a dirty cloth, Goody, how was your weekend, mate? Let's talk about that first. Yeah, not bad. I'm quite excited today. I had a very family-orientated weekend. No work on this weekend, which was nice because November is as mad as they come within Autumn Internationals. We've got a fair few dinners on. But I am absolutely buzzing this week because we are heading to Dublin on Wednesday. Myself and GMR for a show at the Café on Seine in Dublin. Quietly, the missus was like, are you okay? You seem a bit giddy. I'm like, no, I'm just loving family time this weekend because Wednesday, Dublin... Pints of Guinness and blackcurrant everywhere. No. No, there are. I'm telling you no. there are. Ask me you. tomorrow. Ask me tomorrow. Don't. You, I don't want to hear this now. <laughs> I am thirsty as you like. I've not had a few beers in, oh God. in a few weeks. So uh, we're going hard on Wednesday, Jim. I can't wait. So I had a lovely family weekend. We took the kids into London to watch a show. We went to a Halloween fireworks night on uh, in Henley on Saturday. So loads of family time. Love the kids. Can't wait for Dublin. There's, Dublin is getting the message on Wednesday. That's all I know. I just want to be with my kids. I just want to be with my kids. So I don't want to go anywhere near Dublin. But as I said, Andrew, ask me tomorrow and Jesus Christ, show me the Guinness. Well, should we look at that game then at Murrayfield Gym? As you said, you were there hosting the Jim Hamilton Suite and yeah, afterwards you dissected it. Are you sick of hearing about whether Finn would have got that kick and would Scotland have won that game with him at fly half, lads? Oh, Jesus Christ, Andy Rowe. Jesus Christ. That is the go-to question, isn't it? Mm. Which a lot of people are asking. Is it an irrelevant question, though? Like, in my mind, it's a, I think it's a completely irrelevant question. Whether he was in the squad or not, he couldn't have played, so it's irrelevant, right? But would he have got it, Goody? Like Andy Rowe's asking you, would he have got it? Well, history says he got it last year, didn't he, against Australia <laughs> to win the game. That's what I said. Andy, Goody, that's what I said after the game. So my first line in the Cameron Hoos, soon to be probably not Jim Hamilton suite, that's what I said. But I didn't say it as in, oh, oh look what Finn did. Finn got it last year. I said it in terms of like, a flip reversal of what's happened. I said, I said in the suite, I was like, oh, Finn Russell got that kick last year in similar circumstances. I was like, shit, I'm, I'm done. I'm sacked. Oh, no. But you're right. And this is the thing with it, right? I mean, the crazy thing is Scotland playing a game outside of the, the window when you've got four test matches. I, I don't get it. It's obviously to do with the scheduling of, of different teams and all that stuff. But whether Finn was picked in the squad and the whole headlines, we spoke about it last week, didn't we? He's not been named in the squad at all for these Autumn Internationals. He still couldn't have played because he plays in Racing and earns €750,000 a year probably. So he made that choice to go and play outside of Scotland. It's been amazing for him. He couldn't have played whether he was the best fly-off in the world in Gregor's eyes or not on Saturday. So, And I actually think Blair Kinghorn, bar the, the kick at the end, I thought he actually his goal kicking was below par, let's be honest. But I thought he actually played really well. A few times he was a little bit too deep in the attacking sense away from the defensive line, but he scores the try. I think he, you know, they put some decent shapes on an attack. They didn't have masses of possession and they got themselves in a position to win the game. So it's classic Scotland though, isn't it? Same old Scotland, the old plucky loser. They, they're so close, all fart, no poo, as I said last week, but same old Scotland. Very similar to when Jim Hamilton played. Loads of penalties, a real shit line out and a dodgy goal kicker. <laughs> Well, the last bit is right. The one thing that surprised me and watching back on TV, I didn't get a sense of it when I was in the stadium. I was mainly looking up and looking down. That's how you drink a bottle, isn't it? You look up and you look down and you've missed it. But was the game management. And I don't know whether it was a general consensus because it was out of the test window or whatever, or this is the new thing that they want to do, or we think we're Ireland and not taking the points and kicking to the corner and not coming away with anything. So that was one thing that I was surprised at looking on TV. But also, you could say there was a degree where we were comfortable. Like, we didn't play that well. It was a bit of a weird game. But we're winning 15 points to six. So you're thinking, how can we lose this? And as Scotland do, that is kind of what we do, don't we? And there was a, a few big decisions that you could maybe go through. We were lucky not to have a red card. We got a yellow card. There was a, a bit of a weird interaction around that. Goody said the line didn't function. It's probably one of our strongest assets that we normally have. 
but yeah, like again, I, I don't want to labour your point, Andy Rowe, in terms of like would Scotland have won if Finn Russell was there? But the one big question needs to be, especially in these big games, and we can chat to Nick about how close the games have been in recent years, especially uh, at the top end of the table. I'll go and I'll reference a question you asked three or four weeks ago, John Cooney. So if you're not going to have Finn Russell as a goal kicker in your team and you're going to put Blair Kinghorn in there, who I agree with Goody had a fantastic game and attack. What a world, That was a world-class finish as well. Yeah. Where he, he managed to chip, chip through and the speed that he showed for that. But ultimately, to win test matches, you need to be able to have a kicker that, I don't know, what, what's the percentage, Goody? What, over 85, 90? To be an international class goal kicker, you're 80% plus. And probably okay. the, in these days, it's probably close to 90%. He'll be disappointed. And, and the big thing is, and this is a question for you, Jim, and, and probably how you answer it might give you more work or less work with the SRU. So, <laughs> so the SRU obviously run Scotland rugby, right? They run... How much control do they have over Edinburgh and Glasgow? Because the question is, Blair Kinghorn does not kick for Edinburgh. So if they're paying for everything, as they do in Ireland, could they not say, well, if Blair Kinghorn's playing, he needs to goal kick for Edinburgh. So Buffelli kicks, doesn't he? And Buffelli's a wonderful kicker for Edinburgh. But how are you doing yourselves in the in, in the foot, effectively, by picking your 10 for Scotland, who doesn't goal kick on the weekend for Edinburgh, yet the SRU are paying all the money down to these two regions, and supporting them financially, but have they got much say around what they're doing at regional level? I don't know. That's a question for you, Jim. Yeah, I'm happy with what the SIU are doing. I think they're just <laughs> doing everything. So, right. Whatever they're doing, right. Andrew Good, you know what? And this is one of your biggest strengths, and there ain't many. I didn't even pick that up that fucking Buffelli takes the kicks. Yeah. And I watched, I watched the game. <laughs> I watched the games. <laughs> I commentated on them back in the day. Like, that is great. Great knowledge and great analysis. Has someone messaged you? Has Finn messaged you and said that? Or not? <laughs> no, I'll be in Nobu with Finn in a few weeks, I think, in Dubai. So, uh, yeah, just, just back in Finn's corner. No, I'm joking. Just a stat that's just come in from producer Rob. Finn Russell has a 91% kick percentage in the top 14 this year. So what, what's going on here? Is that there's a conspiracy going on, is there? Is it get Finn back? Because I don't think it's going to happen. I messaged him at the weekend when I had a few beers. I was getting all emotional. Not that I want him to come back, but I do want him to come back, whether or not it's him and Blair Kinghorn at 15 or Blair Kinghorn on the wing and shove out Duan, who's an average player, or Darcy. Why are you trying to drop Poggy? I'm not. I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying <laughs> to make this situation work for the best players and the best people. You know, Blair Kinghorn, I thought, did himself a world of good at the weekend in terms of how he played, um, how confident he looked. I mean, imagine how much pressure he must feel. Every single person's talking about Finn. Like, we're, it's almost old news now, and we're still talking about it. Yeah. But that is the enormity of not having someone like Finn in a Scotland team. So we, we're going to naturally talk about it. So, But we've got to big up Blair. I thought I thought he played really he well in the face of adversity. Yeah. And the big question, just to labour the point, and it's difficult because no disrespect to Fiji, but we've got Fiji at the weekend. And then we've got New Zealand. If you've not got a 85, 90% goal kicker in them tight games and tight games that we've won historically, then there's an issue, isn't there? So, Cooney! I mean, I mean, I mean, I hear you about Cooney, but i just got to ask you a question. When's there ever been a tight game between New Zealand and Scotland, just for, for our listeners? First five minutes is always tight. It starts at nil-nil, right? I don't know whether, I don't know whether I'm doing Say it. Scotland and stitch, stitching them up. New Zealand is shite at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned discipline before with Scotland. What did you make of the refereeing? Luke Pearce, friend of the show. What do you mean that he helped Nick White get the ball off at the end? He wanted to get down the pub and get on it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah, I bet he did. I mean, it was the one call, wasn't it, with the the Glenn Young one that has kind of divided opinion, again, without trying to be too negative. But I thought it was a ridiculous clean-out by him, really, in the grand scheme of things, of stuff that you know that you can do. And who was I with that picked it up? Kelly Bloon. Coach Kelly Bloom picked it up and said he could be in a bit of trouble, but he got a yellow card. And thankfully, it, you know, for Scotland fans, it wasn't a red because, well, we could, hey, we would have lost even though we lost anyway, but you know what I mean. I did look at Glenn Young, right, and I'm watching him and he comes off the bench. And how good was it that they've got the names on the back of the shirts? It's amazing who listens to this podcast, isn't it, Jim? I tell you <laughs> now, it's, I mean, it's revolutionary. I mean, can you believe Bill Sweeney? Can you believe he put a statement out about that? Mate, you are the head honcho. 
of the RFU, and that is the kind of that is the bollocks that you're coming out with. But the SRU beat them to the beat them to the jump, and they had their names on the jerseys as oh, well. Oh, well, of course, because we're the best uh, we're the best union in the world. They're just brilliant, so I love them. <laughs> but come on, mate! Like I can't even believe they're making a thing out of it. Can you about the names on the back of the jersey? Mate, they listen to me on the podcast and saying we need, we need names on the back of the jersey. I didn't know who Glenn Young was until he gives about four penalties. And, and now you do. And I see his name on the back of his jersey, and I think that should be a Hamilton. It shouldn't be Glenn Young. It just reminded me he of Jim Hamilton for playing for Scotland. Well, no, he did, but it's it's. I'm looking at him going. He looks like how Jim Hamilton used to play, right? How good was Ollie Smith's try? Very good. I like him as a player. Classy player at 15. Got his debut in Argentina, but his parents missed it. So the whole build-up to that was that his parents were going to be at the game. Of course they were, because it's in Scotland. But yeah, I thought not only was Blair Kinghorn awesome in the lead-up to that, but that, again, I like to say world-class a lot, but you're up against a world-class team. That was a world-class finish. Like, it was brilliant. It was. And what I will say on it, Jim, thank God he scored it, because it was a two slash three on one on the outside and he's just tucked it step step gone himself hasn't he so when he's made the bust if he doesn't score it after having an easy pass I think was it Duan van der Merwe on his outside he got absolutely pelted from Duan van der Merwe but yeah hell of a finish he looks like a really tidy player what do you mean he's going to be the next Scotland fullback and Stuart Hogg won't get back in why are you saying that Jim? No, Hoggy will be back in, but when Hoggy retires after the World Cup, Blair Kinghorn will go to 15 and Finn will be captain at 10. I'm just, that's what I'm thinking. What did you make of uh, Jamie Joseph's comments after New Zealand beat Japan, saying that they'd lost the aura and uh, in trouble going to Cardiff? Goody can answer this because Goody had, what did you have? Uh, the All Blacks by 45, did you? I, I saw the teams. I changed it to about 35, yeah, I think. <laughs> but yeah. No, I, listen, the All Blacks were bang average, weren't they? And I said it on here a few again. Weeks, again, I said it on here a few weeks ago. We we got stuck into them a little bit during the rugby championship, and then ultimately they had their worst season ever. Yet they still won the rugby championship down in the southern hemisphere. And then they go to Japan. And Jamie Joseph is right. Yeah, this All Blacks team. When Jim Hamilton thinks Scotland have got a chance, then there's some real issues in New Zealand. You know, they go into Wales, and people talk about Wales and Cardiff, and you know they always do well in the autumn internationals. When have they ever beaten New Zealand? Well, all I know, Goody, is Mills Mulliaina, the All Blacks great. I heard him say something on a podcast. He was like, I ain't bothered if we get beat by Scotland or something like, basically he said that Scotland are going to beat them. And if he if he's saying that, yeah. if Mills Mulliaina, the absolute legend, is thinking that Scotland can beat the All Blacks, well then Jamie Joseph is probably right in what he's saying. And he obviously wants the top job. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying he's putting more pressure on the coaches, but that's clearly what's happening. You mentioned Wales before. Have you guys heard the chat about Lewis Reece Samet heading back to play in Wales? The desire to have him back in Wales is probably the one. Well, what is the story on it then, Jim? Because as far as I know, you take someone like Lewis Reece Samet, who's obviously contracted at the minute in Gloucester. When he comes to sign his next contract, unless he's got over a certain amount of caps, if I'm wrong, he has to re-sign in Wales to continue playing for Wales unless he's over that cap threshold. Is that correct, James? Or are you going to tell me differently? No, that is correct. And, mate, the way that he's playing at the minute and people have bigged him up or whatever, and yes, I'm convinced, but not 100% convinced, his performance at the weekend on Friday night against Exeter was just out of this world. Mm. And so naturally, the big teams in Wales who are carving up the URC, like your Cardiffs, your Dragons, your Scarlets, your Ospreys, <laughs> like they're just... They, they'll want him, of course they will. And I th- genuinely think, now, headline, headline, that it, it would be a travesty to see him play in Wales. I think, firstly, and I go based on chatting to people at Gloucester, he loves Gloucester, came through Hartbury and is connected to that part. So yes, he plays for Wales. I think his family live in Wales. He might even commute from Wales. I remember when he came on before, he was living in his dad's shed or something, weren't he? And he was travelling yeah. over. But he loves Gloucester. He was at the Cardiff game on Sunday. Oh gosh, it's happening. He was watching the Man United game though, during the rugby. That's all I oh, saw. okay. Well, that's fine. Well, we know he's got a deep affiliation a deep affiliation to Man United of old, uh, Paul Scholes and all that. Well, there's a cap rule in Wales. I think it's 65. We saw when Reese Webb went out to play in Toulon that he couldn't play for Wales. And we saw George North play at Northampton, still play for Wales. But that, the interesting one is on Lewis Reese Summit, like you just said there, when he comes to sign his new contract, how long is his contract? Do Wales know? Is it legit? Is it a year? Is it four years? If you throw around money, let's throw around a bit of money and, and, and some numbers. With the profile that lives around someone like Lewis Rees Summit, and I base that on his social media following, but also how well he's playing, 
you look at Wales, what do you mean they're on the decline? What do you mean they're on the demise, Goody? They need a boost of energy, so let's bring him back. But I'll reiterate, I, I, I don't think it would be a good move for him to go back to Wales, but I imagine the appetite's there to bring him back. Look, Ross Moriarty went back, didn't he? Because Dragons are carving up. And... This is the thing, though. If they want to play for Wales, the, the way the, the rules are written, they have to go back there. Unless you're Nick Tompkins, who somehow managed to get a, a loan deal from Saracens at the same time his agent, who perhaps shouldn't have been an agent, we all know who that was, managed to get him a seven-year contract at Saracens. Seven years? If you, Yeah, if you can find a way around the salary cap, sorry, not a salary cap, but if you can find a way around rules and regulations, then I think the best place for Lewis Rees Summit to play his rugby, 100% is Gloucester, and to continue on the path that, he, that he's on. But ultimately, the WRU, if they want to run the game how they see fit and you know stick to what are their rules around player eligibility when his contract's up at Gloucester he has to go back to play in Wales to play for Wales which would be a massive shame for the Premiership because he's absolutely electric you saw the try he creates for Lewis Ludlow at the weekend just ridiculous you know no one I can think of in the Premiership or in Six Nations gets the excitement in the crowd when they touch the ball as he does and I mean that, like Jason Robinson-esque, when he used to get the ball, everyone's like, something's going to happen. Every time Lewis Rees Summit touches the ball, whether he drops it on the boot and kicks it and chases it, or whether he's just trying to beat people, something happens exciting for the crowd. So he's a phenomenal talent. Gloucester would want to keep hold of him, but I think they're pretty you know, honest in the fact that they know, because he's Welsh, because he's under that cap threshold, he's going to have to go back at some point. And I think he should sign for the Dragons, because they are flying. They beat Zebra by 40-odd points, so... It would have been 60 with Lewis Rees Summit. The issue is, though, we don't know who the coach is at Dragons, so it's hard to kind of <laughs> w- work out whether he'll go. Where's Dean? Dean, where are you? Let's take a look at England going into this autumn series. Goody, where are they? What do you want to see from them? Where do they need to build? It's always tough, isn't it? Start of an autumn series. You know, what is deemed as, as success? You know, it's a mini World Cup effectively for us. You know, Argentina first up and Japan second week there are two group games in the world cup and then you've got new zealand and south africa now new zealand as jim said are shit at the minute they're prime for beating south africa at the end of a long tour you know we beat them at twickenham last year when we perhaps shouldn't have you know they're one of the best teams in the world as well so you, you everyone will be looking at those two games and judging on that but in reality you're looking at argentina who beat new zealand a few weeks ago and japan who ran new zealand close you can't look p- past these first two games because that's the sort of thing that Ireland do at a World Cup where they don't get past a quarterfinal. And I shouldn't have said that because we're going to Dublin. I love Ireland. What are you on about? But you've got to focus on the first two games now. There's a lot of young talent in the squad. Caden Murley, who we've spoken about in depth on here, you want to see players like him given a chance. You need to see the axis of of Smith and Farrell develop a bit further. Manu Tulangi's back as well at 13. You know How many games is he going to play? Do you risk him against Argentina and Japan and hope he can keep going through against New Zealand and South Africa because you're going to need someone of his quality to try and beat those two teams at the end. So it's interesting. You know, We could win all four. You know, We could win two out of the four. It's wide open, isn't it? And this is the beauty of you know the international rugby scene at the minute, how sort of tight it is around a lot of these top teams. Uh, you know, Japan will fancy themselves. Argentina will fancy themselves coming to Twickenham on Sunday because this England team haven't played together since Australia. We've got some players in form, but we've got some big injuries as well. You know, a lot of it will depend at Hooker on Luke Cowan Dickey if he's fit. You know, do you, do, you, do you risk him in the first game against Argentina, who have got a strong set piece ordinarily, knowing the fact that we've got big games further down the line as well? Would you give George McGuigan a go? You know, loads of question marks, loads of injuries, but loads of opportunity for other players to come through where we've criticised Eddie Jones previously for just picking same old, same old. So quite excited to see what combinations he goes with. You know, does Farrell play in the first game? Is Ellis Genge going to be captain? You know, is Billy Vanapola going to carry on his sort of stonking form that he's been in over the last sort of six months? Yeah, I think anything less than three victories will be a, a disappointing autumn for us. You mentioned Manu. What do you do? How do you manage him over this period? Well, it's difficult because you don't know sort of how fit and fresh he is going into camp. And we know Eddie Jones's camps are pretty tough. I think he you want to, you want him to play three out of the four games. So I think you probably start him against Argentina. You either bench him or rest him completely against Japan, and then you you get him reared up and ready to go against New Zealand and South Africa because that's where you're testing yourself against you know two of the top five or six teams in the world. 
So it's a difficult one, isn't it? With, with the way the games are set up, if you pick your gun 15 against Argentina, then you rest a few against Japan. Have you got momentum going into that New Zealand game? You just don't know, do you? No, because Japan, because Japan's the game, I think, that could be difficult for England. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And, that, and this, is, this is Eddie Jones where he earns his coin in terms of how he manages the squad. Yeah, he's brought Henry Slade back in. So he's got experience that he can not play Manu Tulangi and play other players in there. It's not like you're playing a bunch of kids in certain positions, but it's a balancing act that Eddie's going to have to find. And, and that's not only match to match, but also the training loads throughout the week because four weeks is a, is a brutally long time under Eddie Jones' guidance in a camp. Jim, I sense a headline coming from you about Japan being the game that they've got to watch out for. I genuinely think it is. I think because I like Japan and I like the way that they play, but I think the management of the players, like you've just asked Goody then, like we're talking about our headline player in Manu Tuolangi, for example, just the way that the game's full, the fact that it is Argentina and they're no easy team now. You look at how, what they did in the championship. I know you look at the table, it, it was kind of where people thought it might be, but some of the performances, the fact that they beat Scotland 2-1 in the summer series as well. But I think Japan falling in that second game I just think Eddie might rotate a few players to play in that game, and, and that that could be the one where they potentially slip up. I just don't look. I don't look at the England team and think that their star players are flying into complete form into this autumn series. Like you look at Farrell, he's had a stand down period. He's he's back in camp now. We, I, we probably couldn't pick who the two wingers are going to be. Caden Murley's been the form winger. Johnny May's back in the squad. Lazarus he, he broke the wing, and now the wings literally been stitched back on he's back in like is he going to play uh marrow's been injured as well genji has has been playing in a losing team so the momentum isn't there where it has been before the hooker like goody said luke cowan does he come back in do they try and rush him to get back and i get i think there's still question marks over the 10 12 13 if manu doesn't play so i think with an England team with so many questions, I think they'll be Argentina, but I just think there's going to have to be a point where they look at other players and rotate players. And I think it might be the Japan game. And I just, I don't know. We'll see. And, and it's interesting when you look at it because the first game, personally, I don't think Owen Farrell should play in this first game against Argentina. It sends out the wrong message to me. He's been concussed two weeks ago. You know, we, we're talking about player safety and player welfare. I think he passes his the end of his 12-day stand-down a day before England play Argentina. So, for me, I think Owen Farrell should start against Japan. If you're looking at playing three tests, play him against Japan. But we need to see the axis of, you know, personally, I'd start Van Portfleet at nine. I'd play Marcus Smith at 10, Farrell at 12. And then 13, you're looking at, hopefully, a Manu Tuolangi if everyone's fully fit. But... The reality of it is he's got to pick and choose his times when each player plays. And for me, Owen Farrell should probably play week two, whereas Manu could perhaps start week one uh, and then rest week two. And, and that's how Eddie Jones needs to manage his, his, his troops. Boys, you guys are heading to Ireland this week, heading to Dublin. They're playing South Africa. It's one versus three. Building up a healthy rivalry now, aren't they? Because they're playing the URC as well. And they're facing off at the World Cup. How do you see this game shaping up? Yeah, I actually love the sideshow. Not that the URC is a sideshow, but it being part of a sideshow, a precursor to South Africa, Ireland. I mean, the obvious statement to make is that you've got two of the most physical sides in the world going at it. They know a little bit about each other now. Leinster got absolutely slippered when they played the Bulls in the URC semi-final last year. Let's let's not beat around the bush. I was going to say Evans Bush there, but I don't think he's got one. But Ireland look phenomenal. And you look at this South Africa team, you are wondering how they're coming into this championship. Are they limping? I'm just asking the question. Do they not have a 10? I think naturally you look at the forwards and they're actually in a good place, to be fair. Dwayne Vermeulen, I thought he might have been in the squad. He got the turnover to win the game against Munster at the weekend, but he's not. So friend of the show, Ivan Roos seems like he's got the keys to the kingdom. Peter Steftatoy, we know how good he is. So I'm just reeling off some of the players. You know, is Jasper Visa going to start? Quagga Smith, Vincent Cock hasn't played. It's time for Stad Francais now, but he's not played a lot of rugby, has he? So you look at the profile of that team. Malcolm Marks was one of the standout players in the championship. Friend of the show, friend of mine, Ebenet Sabeth. And the reason why I say these names, because I think the Ireland are going to win. And then actually look at the profile of some of the players. There's a load that I haven't mentioned as well, and you look at the talent they've got in the backs, but I think they are struggling at 10, and I think the way that Ireland are playing, uh, and again, we probably don't need to go through all the Ireland players, if Johnny Sexton's fit as well, which it seems like he is, and they're at home, 
and you look at what they did to New Zealand, not just what they did, but the way that they played, I think Ireland are favourites. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the, the key thing is that fly-half battle. We've got two teams that play very differently. They're both very physical, but actually play very differently uh, in terms of attack. We, we know the Springboks are going to kick it a hell of a lot. There's going to be an aerial bombardment coming in. They're going to play a big power game, the Springboks are. But Ireland have dealt with this previously. You know, they've got uh, their all-court ball handling game is ridiculous. And with Johnny Sexton at 10, I'm presuming Willems is going to play 10 for South Africa. Or Libok might come on as well as an option, but obviously it's been well sort of publicised that they're struggling at fly half with numerous injuries there. So I just think Ireland with Johnny Sexton at the helm at ten, if he's fit, which he is, he's, he's obviously started the URC season and played a couple of home games because uh, I don't think he plays away games. But the difference and the disparity between him at ten and maybe Villemser at ten, I think it would just be too much. Ireland on riding the crest of a wave, success. Down New Zealand, they'll be confident. It's a big test first up physically, but I think they'll have too much for them and their all-court attacking game will be way too much for the South African team who have a few injuries. They've got a massive forward pack, but you know they're off the back of a long season with boys playing a lot of rugby. So I'm going Ireland. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colourful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Well, we can have a chat now with friend of the show and Wallaby scrum half Nick White, ahead of their match against France and following their famous win in Scotland. Nick, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Nick, it's awesome to have you, mate. But look, I've got to call you out on something because I went to the game live, right? I had a few beers responsibly with a few mates and didn't have the same perspective as watching it on TV. So I messaged you yesterday and was like, mate, let's get you on. Love to have you on. And then I actually saw what you did at the end of the game, which one would say is very smart. I would say, mate, give us a chance. You should have give us, given us one last <laughs> shot to keep that ball in. Nah, mate, absolutely not. Yeah, look, I've seen a lot of people have seen, seen it that way. Maybe I should have uh, should have given him another crack, but uh, but I did. I, I took it to the middle of the field, gave you every opportunity to uh, to, to have a crack at it, but uh, luckily got a got a dead duck away towards uh, Big Duan there, and he wasn't too happy after it. He came up to me and said, "Mate, what was that?" Yeah, well, good on you. We should have done it in 2010. Phil Godman should have kicked it off in Wales, and we would have beat Wales. But anyway, that's old news. But did someone in the game tell you that 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 you had to do that, or did you know what the crack is? I mean, I imagine you do know what the crack is. I wouldn't have a fucking clue. Yeah, look, obviously, when he was taking the um, the penalty kick, we were planning for how we get the ball back from halfway. You know, obviously, assuming he'd get that one, planning for the worst. So once he missed it, yeah, I knew that. You know, he'd taken up a fair chunk of the time, and that it was in the red. So all we had to do was just get it off the field. But I, um, Luke Pierce, made sure I was aware that it had to bounce, but I knew I had to somehow grubber it off. But the last thing I wanted to do was send one downfield and give them a chance to come back and maybe hit a drop goal or or carry it over halfway and then get a penalty and get another crack at it. So. Yeah, I probably could have taken the easier option and gone way closer to the sideline. But what you're saying is Luke Pearce basically told you what to do. Did he say, look, if you do this, you're beating Scotland? No, he heard me say, let's just kick it out. And I knew I couldn't kick it straight out. But he just said, I oh, just it makes sure it bounces. And I was like, yeah. Fucking Luke. Friend of the show. <laughs> it's not Luke though, is it? Because obviously Luke, Luke was clear with what he said, but it's obviously intelligent play from Nick because as a kicker, back in the day, I've been there where you have to do that and most kickers would panic and you said you hit the dead duck. First and foremost, I'd like to congratulate the whole of the Wallabies, especially you, Nick. Firstly, for beating Scotland, but secondly, for listening to a referee for once, you know. It, it, I mean, it's one of those things that happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. I, I had to say it. No, no, no. And you, you hear referees say it all the time, like, make sure you tap it before you kick it out to, to people with penalties at the end of the game so they don't just send it straight out, otherwise we play on. But, um... Yeah, look, you had to bring that one up again, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> we had a bit of interaction on social media, didn't we, about it? Like you And you were messaging me privately as well. And I get it. Obviously, a lot of pain from the Aussies with what happened for our listeners at the end of that Bledisloe game against New Zealand. But listen to the referee is crucial, isn't it, mate? Let's be honest. It is, yes. We we learned the hard way. But we'll leave, 
let that dead dog lie, as they say. But you know, it's um, yeah, we learnt the hard way there that one. So we're it's good to see we're learning from our mistakes. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because a lot of the games you're in as a team, they go right down to the wire, and they have done recently, haven't they? I mean, I say all a lot of them. A lot of them recently have gone down to the wire, hasn't they? I mean, the pressure. Dave Rennie, I mean, there ain't much air left anyway, but I imagine most of it's going to be gone by the end of the tour now. Yeah, it is. And I think it's just where rugby's at now with the, the top 10. Anyone can beat everyone. You know, the, the, the French went over to Japan and, and that was even a, clo- you know, a couple of close games. And yeah, we, we've had a lot of close ones. Yeah, we've been, I guess, I would say a little bit unlucky in a couple. Um, so I would consider the one on the weekend that we were pretty lucky. You know, he missed it and gave us that win. You know, it's it's probably a kick that, you know, if he had nine times out of ten, he's probably hitting. So, you know, I feel, feel for him in that scenario, but we'll, we'll take that bit of luck. And like you said, yeah, we've been in a lot of close ones. I've uh, been unlucky, been lucky in a couple. And it's just where I think it's good. It's where rugby's at. And going into the World Cup next year, like I said, anyone in the top ten is kind of, you know, a, a chance really. Nice. And let's talk about the, the game, obviously. You know, Scotland's discipline wasn't particularly great. You get away with one at the end, potentially, with that penalty miss. But some huge strides made by Australia over the last year and a half, two years now, and really starting to hit some form. You've got a tough series in the autumn. But actually, I was reading back in the archives, and Scotland have beaten you the last three times. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Scotland don't beat anyone in Tier 1. Apart from England, back-to-back. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Bit of a relief after the game to get the victory or more uh, job done. Let's move on to the next one and go out for a few beers. A uh, little bit of both, bit of relief. Obviously, just the, the type of game it was. Yeah, in terms of the top ten, like it was Scotland was kind of the side. So we haven't beaten. You know, going through the rest of them, we we actually, um, you know, we we beat New Zealand in the last bit. You know, beaten South Africa, France. Yeah, you, know, you go through it, but the one team we hadn't really, we haven't knocked off, and, and Wales as well. You know, they're they're the two. We're kind of you know they're they're the bogey sides that we need to need to get over, and you know, a little bit lucky on the weekend. So obviously. A bit of relief at the end of there, but at the same time, you know, back to the process. Like you said, we've got a we've got a long tour up here, a real tough tour, and uh, you know that's the the first one. And we feel like we're making strides in the right direction, but still a long way to go. And gee whiz, doesn't get any easier with France this week up in Paris. So yeah, a little bit of uh, you know, a few beers, and then crack on, get back into it because got four games to go, four big ones. Yeah, we had a brief chat on Friday. Big shout out to the Milkman Coffee in Edinburgh, one of the best coffee shops around. But I saw you outside there. I, was, I met my old mate, Petrus Dupassi. And naturally, one of the things you talk about is what you're doing after the game. And I found it really interesting that there's not a lot that happens now after games. And the interaction that we had said where well, that's where a lot of things happen after games in terms of connecting with the opposition, going out for a few beers, getting to know different characters. You know, a friend of the show, Drew Mitchell, that's how we became mates. James Hallwell as well, having a few beers with him after we played. There's nothing now, is there? No, it's a little bit sad. Obviously, uh, I think COVID had a fair bit to do with it. But, you know, the times of throwing on you know, a bag of fruit and going up to, to have a, a dinner with the opposition after a game, have a couple of beers. There's guys in the side, like, and, and I was one when I was younger that have, you know, like, we, we have no re- interaction with the, you know, the big stars that are up here in the north. And um, you just don't get a chance to see them anymore. So there is a little bit of going into the sheds. We went into the, the, the Scottish sheds after the game and had a beer with them there, which was awesome. But, you know, that, that ability to, you know, you just don't see rugby players from, from this side of the, the hemisphere all that often. So to be able to sit down and have a beer with your opposition who you don't know and get to know them, like that's the beauty of rugby. Like it's played all over the world and, and you meet people from all different places and one beer becomes a few beers and, and they say, oh, look, we're going out in town, come with us. And, you know, then you've got a friend for life. So yeah, there's, there's not much of that goes on anymore. But, you know, the, I think hopefully that was just a, a bit of a COVID thing and, and it'll start coming back into into rugby because yeah that's that's a huge part of it for me anyway now the scotland lads ain't allowed out are the goody well, i was about to say gregor won't let him have more than two beers so there's no chance <laughs> drinking with scotland lads <laughs> dave rennie actually said last year he didn't have uh too good a time on the end of year tour obviously results wise and sort of enjoying it and because you get enjoyment from wins and all that stuff but good start obviously a big tour you're over in france now france being the the world cup hosts next year and one of the best teams in the world as well at the minute what are you expecting this weekend dupont against you should be pretty tasty eh? a bit like faf de clerk against you <laughs> yeah dupont he's uh not only the best nine in, in the world he's the best player so gonna have my hands full there and um yeah, look, it's the test that we want. Eleven months out from World Cup, you know, being able to play, you know, one of the favourites, um, if not the favourite, in uh, a World Cup in in France next year. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. The beauty of playing France here is we know what to expect. We they're going to be very good, and that we're going to have to be very good to to match it with them. So, you know, there's a little bit of that that kind of narrows the mind in that 
we're just going to focus on ourselves and, and make sure we put out a decent performance because if we're a little bit off, we know that we're gonna not going to measure up. So we're going to have to be good this weekend. Yeah, Michael Hooper's back as well. Headline news last week. How good is it seeing him back? Well, I've, as a fan, it's amazing seeing him back on the field and also being how transparent he was as well in the lead up to this tour and everything that happened before. Yeah, awesome to have him back. For a lot of guys, you know, this is their first proper tour um, up north. You know, last year we came up and it was a COVID one, which is a bit funny, you know, just being in hotels the whole time. So this one's a proper big one where there's plenty of distractions and to have a guy like Hoops that's um, done so many up here, that experience, you know, a lot of the younger guys are leaning on that. And from a personal point of view, it's just good to see him back. He's, he's come at the other side of it. You know, he's, like you said, he's been open about that. You know, he's not cured and all of a sudden just better now, but he's in a better place than what he was. And and he's got a lot of um, you know people here to, to help him. He's got his, his wife over here, his son, Tommy, his, his mum and dad have come over as well. Obviously within the team, a lot of support and uh, and he's he's got the tools there to, to, you know, to make sure he's okay. And uh, what a hell of a rugby player to have on your side. So that's good too. Yeah, definitely. I think when you're looking at something like that and hearing about, you know, one of the biggest players to come out of Australia in, in donkey's years, speaking about those those topics and, and being so open and honest with it. How hard is it for you as a player? Because actually, do you know what? People look at you on a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever day you're playing, and just judge you on that 80-minute performance, right? They don't see what goes in week in, week out. Like, I know you're away from your family a hell of a lot, especially, you know, you're playing you know, in, in the rugby championship and then come on on tours. Is there much help for the players individually around the mental health side of things and, and how you can cope with all that? Because it's not just all about the glory on a, on a Saturday, is it? No, that's it. There, there is a lot that goes into it. And I think we are, like, it, it, it's something that I think as a society we're mo- we've moved in, in going in the right direction. Like, I'm, I don't know enough about it to know that how much further is to go, but, like, it's a lot better than what it was, you know, and, and you guys could probably attest to that when you were playing. And, you know, it's spoken about... And I, you know, I feel like the the way that when Hoops came out, the support he got not only from the rugby community but the whole community kind of shows the volume of, of where we're at now. So we, we we feel pretty supported. We've got a you know pretty you know pretty good staff around um, knowing what we need. You know, families come into camp with us um, when we're in Australia. They're certainly more than welcome to to come over. You know, like Hoops has got his family here at the moment, and yeah, look we. We feel like we're in a pretty good place and, and pretty well looked after. So it is a long, long tour for us guys down south when where the international season feels like you're kind of on the road for you know almost four or five months straight. So it can get tough, but also to sacrifice. I you know I love making because I love playing for my country. Yeah, absolutely. Just on the mental aspect of the game and everything that goes with it. Again, off the back of our brief discussion around the South African backlash when Fafta Clerk clipped you. He almost killed you. Let's be honest. He almost killed you that day. <laughs> <laughs> but the stick that you took online, I think it's important for you to share that and also how that affected you and how it's potentially affected your family because everyone talks about hashtag rugby values, but for whatever reason, in the last two or three years, it's probably COVID. Let's blame COVID. But... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of backlash now that comes after every game of rugby that you see and you go online and, and you took a fair brunt of that after your game against South Africa. Yeah. Look, it, um, you know, firstly, you know, if I had my time again, I'd do things differently, like, no doubt. I'd go on the rugby field and, and make mistakes. Every game I, I, I play and you know, like come off and, and learn from them and, and that's no different. That one popped it a bit. Like um, I'd say I'm, I've got pretty thick skin. I, I give a bit and I, I get a bit, but, you know, it did go probably a bit too far when your wife's copying it and they're making comments about your family, um, your kids. Like it, it, it went a fair bit too far. Yeah, look, it, it was disappointing. It did affect me a little, but you know, I try to leave it back there. But you know, and 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 at risk of bringing it up again and and copying it again. But you know, I feel like it does need to be like some light needs to be shed on it because you know, for for other players out there that maybe don't have as thick a skin, it can be, I guess, pretty detrimental. Faf's all good with with you now though, is he? Oh no, we have a I think we have a healthy respect for each other. Um he's a good player. Um we've had plenty of battles. Hopefully we get a chance to to sit down and have a beer at some stage in the future. Can you just give us an insight into like how that kind of thing does affect your family from your family's perspective? Yeah, look, I guess you're just not in it alone, right? Like uh, you know, I'm not, not just copying it, but you know, in, um when they've got the ability to to reach out to your family and, and go to them that way and you know, it's tough. Like you've got a mum and dad, sisters that, you know, you know, like if all the messages are just coming to me personally, I, I can deal with that. I just I just shut it down for a couple of weeks. But, yeah, they, they find ways in and it affects them. You know, they, you know, I, I feel like I'm dealing with it okay. But then 
when you see your family's getting quite upset by it, then that probably affects you more than the incident itself. So it it affect everyone differently, right? Like I can't speak for everyone, but I can only speak for my personal experience. You know, I, I was in camp at the time, thought I was doing all right, and then you find out that you know that your, your family's kind of copying as well. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But just just to clear, the, the tash is okay, is it? Just to clear everything up. <laughs> <laughs> lighten the mood a little bit that's it thank you goody on that note last year i uh i didn't have my cap but i thought i'd bring it this time there he is <laughs> <laughs> nice the peaky blinder is back i see it i wouldn't forget it this time Matt. what are you going to do for movember well matt i don't want to i don't want to shave off and start again so i'll just keep it and, and donate maybe i'd rather dye my hair i think but I yeah it'd be, it'd be like ronaldo putting on four stone like it just doesn't look right, does it? Like he's shredded. <laughs> Nick White's got a moustache. Like that's it. That's he could change his life by shaving it, but it is like I mean, I spotted him down the street. He's quite a small human, but I saw. I just I've not seen a better moustache. I'll be honest. Find me a better moustache in rugby, uh, listeners, and yeah, I'll get you signed Scotland board or something for a quick. <laughs> right, Nick. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Best of luck for the rest of the tour. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, how good. We've got some good cities to go to, so I'm sure we'll uh, we'll rip in, play some good footy, hopefully get some good results and uh, enjoy ourselves. Sink a few beers, mate. That's right. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. See ya. Top, Top lad. Yeah, he completely is, isn't he? Like you said, Jim, he's one of the most high-profile players on the planet. His tash makes him even more high-profile, but what a lovely human being. We've had him on here a couple of times now, honest as they come. Wears his heart in his sleeve, and you forget. You know, it's easy to criticise and people say stuff and you know, you don't see the other side of it, do you, of how they get affected by the online trolls and everything like that. So, um, yeah, big of him to come and talk of it. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a fucking cracking guy, isn't he? But I like Australians. Now, I don't know why I sound surprised by that. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm surprised myself saying that, but I don't know why I am. I don't know why I'm second-guessing myself. Yeah, why I've wouldn't got you? A lot of, I don't know. I've got a lot of Australians. I'll tell you why, right? I'll tell you why. Should I tell you why? Because they beat you on the weekend. No, not because they beat us on the weekend. It's, it's longer than that. So when me and Ravo went to... Early Beach, and we did a tour of Australia, the East Coast. Me, Pesh, Dan Montague, aka Stash, we stayed at a youth hostel, and basically a tornado came through the youth hostel. And everyone who was staying at the youth hostel, all their clothes were in the swimming pool. There was a couple of deck chairs and stuff, <laughs> and stuff like that, and they were going ballistic. I was trying to say that a tornado, tornado pitch lap had been through the youth hostel. They were having none of it, so they were starting on me. They made me feel as if I was going to go back to my aggressive cough self and they're Australian. So maybe it's deep-rooted, the fact that this tornado came through, tornado pitch came through, destroyed a load of clothes, and I got the blame for it off these Australian lads. So I do like Australians. And for that, I'm sorry. I can't. It's a, it, was a, hey, it was a natural disaster. If the people are listening, it was a natural disaster on Ellie Beach. How tough would it be, Like, especially you guys might have had this in the past, where if trolls come at you online and but not just come at you but come at your family like that's the next level isn't it i'll be going send me your location goody would be ringing up pablo to try and get someone else from where pablo's from to sort them out but i'll be like straight away send me location where are you mate yeah i mean my family to my knowledge my my missus isn't on social media at all social media is the one where you just get keyboard warriors just going abusive left right and center whether it's on instagram or twitter and I look at some of the stuff and it makes me laugh sometimes the shit that I get. And, you know, I take it tongue in cheek. And as Nick White said, he's got thick skin. I've got plenty of thick skin uh, for the abuse that I get. But yeah, you just can't fathom going after your family. I've had a few comments about my kids and stuff like that, but I just pity and belittle the people that do it because how hard are you doing that? You're not hard, are you? You know, it's embarrassing. So I'm a big believer, and I've said it millions of times on it, especially with kids. Social media, everyone should be over a certain age, so over 18 or 16. You have to be verified in terms of your age, your identity, and you know, so ultimately, if you're being able to put out stuff that you can on social media, people need to be able to trace it back to who you are, and there need to be consequences to, to your actions because it's at, at times it can get disgraceful. But... Yeah, you saw what Nick White said then. It affected him and his family. So fingers crossed people learn from that and, um, you know, everyone pulls through and is kind to each other. Hey, James. Well, let's go and get your predictions now with the Fanzo Guinness Pint Predictor for the Autumn Nations series. Well, with the internationals back, it also means that the Guinness Pint Predictor is back with six games this week, which means six chances to win a free pint of Guinness if you predict who wins. All you have to do is download the free Fanzo app. That's F-A-N-Z-O. It's no longer called Match Pint. Go to the Guinness Pint Predictor and enter the code RUGBYPOD. 
Let's get some predictions. Scotland, Fiji, let's start there. How are they going to back up, Jim? Well, I hope they absolutely obliterate them because Vern Cotter's coaching Fiji. So <laughs> I jest. I jest. I love Fiji. I love watching Fiji play. I think there'll be huge improvements in their set piece, in the strategy that they've got. I think Scotland will go full noise. I think Hoggy will come back in, even though Ollie Smith played really well. Johnny Gray, he's been playing well for Exeter. He'll come back in. Finn might come. But no, Finn's not coming back in. He's not. Chris Harris at 13. I think him, Sione, Tuopolotu, who's quite quiet at the weekend, actually, will come back into the centre. I think we'll win, but I don't think it'll be easy. Score. Yeah, all right. By 15, Scotland. Confident, Jim. Confident. You question it. Well, it's classic Scotland. Confident, but also questioning whether you can actually win a game. So I'm going Fiji by three. Are you promised <laughs> me you're going to put that on your fanzo predictor? Yeah? I'll put it on right now, but I might change it before the weekend. Oh, well, of course you will. <laughs> we'll see the teams. <laughs> Wales and New Zealand. Well, let, let's put this into context. Uh, the last time Wales beat New Zealand was 1953. So uh, you don't really hold out much hope for Wales. But as Jim Hamilton said earlier in the show, this New Zealand team is shit. <laughs> in New Zealand standards. He said it. I'm giving you the caveat there of saying in New Zealand standards, it's a shit team. But um, Yeah, exactly. So there's still like, in terms of that, if it was like, in terms of, if that was a team I was playing, they'd be world-class, like as in absolutely world-class, but they're not as good as they were. Shit's a big statement. Like to say someone's shit or say a team is shit is a big statement. I, I, I'm going to put my name to it, but like they're shitter than they were, but they're still very good. <laughs> do you think you'd make this All Blacks team in your prime, Jim? Yes, I do. What? Yes. Like, as in right now. Fucking hell, Jim. <laughs> Deluded. On the bench, I would. That's like me saying I could wake up tomorrow morning and be 85 kilos again. It's just never going to happen, Jim. Well, according to your Wikipedia, that's what you are. <laughs> exactly. You can lie on Wikipedia, but you'd have made the All, this All Blacks 15. No, maybe not. I would have made the squad, I reckon. Like, as in, in, in my prime. Who are you getting in ahead of if you've got Retellick, Whitelock and Barrett? Retellick's getting banned, so they bring me in for him. <laughs> like for like. Oh, dear. <laughs> like, I, do, I didn't mean they're shit. I meant they're shitter than they were, which is still good, but not very good. Yeah, true. So I'm going to go, listen, Wales... They had a decent tour in South Africa. It's their first game. You'd never want to play New Zealand first up where New Zealand are getting absolutely panned back home by their own press and everyone around the world, like Jim Hamilton saying this year. I'm going to go New Zealand by 20. I'm going to go New Zealand by, because they're really good and they're not shit. I'm going to go New Zealand by 15. If they do lose, I think Foster's gone after the autumn. France, Australia. France. By how many? Well, they're current Grand Slam champions, aren't they? So, Australia... Scotland got robbed at the weekend, hey. so Australia are happy. They're happy with the way things are going in Australia. They're happy. They're comfortable. But they're in France. They're residing in France. I'm trying to work out my head what's going to go on. I'm going to go France. Oh, God. I feel bad because we've had Nick White on for end of the show. But I'm going to go France by 12. I don't know why I've gone first, but I've gone that confident, Goody, that I've just fucking done it myself. Yeah, France by 12. I'm going to go France by 10. Their first game as well. Australia, confident after... Getting the Scotland monkey off the back. But yeah, I, I th I'm back in France here. DuPont against Nick White. Hopefully it'll be tasty at nine. France by 10. England, Argentina. Oh, England Ooh. should win this. Argentina. Some people say it's a bogey team. I just don't see it being a bogey team for England. Um, normally, uh, Lavanini will get himself sent off or something like that. There'll be a load of passion from the Argentinians, but I think England have too much. England by 12. I was going to say England by 12, but I'll go England by 18. Oh, thank you, James. Ireland, South Africa. Ireland. By how many? I, I don't know why I'm so confident there. I bloody love South Africa. I'm going to go by nine. Ireland by nine. Yeah, I mean, that's a real tough one to call, isn't it? Two very different teams and how they play. South Africa, they're going to come with all the, the size, the power. They haven't got a 10. Actually, when South Africa got injuries at 10 and Johnny Sexton's playing for Ireland, we're going to Ireland on Wednesday. We're drinking loads of Guinness and Black. I'm going to say Ireland by 12. Shout out to Hitesh Rafferty, who leads the Rugby Pod League. He got a perfect prediction for calling Australia by one against Scotland. You're getting a signed ball from the Scotland team. Well done. Well, let's take a look at the Premiership then, quickly looking at the consortiums trying to buy Wasps and Worcester. Goody, what do we know? 
it's pretty straightforward, really. I think the administrators with Worcester have announced that Jim O'Toole, uh, his consortium, are the preferred option to buy Worcester Warriors. He's got to go through all the financial tests and the fit and proper owners test to see if that can get passed through. In terms of Wasps, I believe there's a Wasps Legends group that have come together to try and save the club buying the men's rugby team and the academy side of the business and that's in discussions at the minute but until they go further down the line as Jim said it's not a quick it's not a quick fix it's not a quick solution both teams have been relegated from the premiership for next year uh, into the championship you know the, the main thing is that they can find a suitable consortium of owners that can support the club financially and, and build a sustainable future so fingers crossed those two things happen in terms of what happened on the field lads what were your highlights from the weekend well definitely Gloucester's performance against Exeter I actually feel for Gloucester but I don't want to be horrible to work Wasps and Worcester, two teams in which they've beaten. And so effectively Gloucester have had 10 points taken away this season. So and I don't want to dwell on that too much because I want to dwell on how good Gloucester are. I nearly beat Saracens. I think it was a last minute kick, was it? Or a last play kick by Owen Farrell for, for them to win that game. Yeah, Gloucester are flying, absolutely flying. So to beat Exeter in the manner in which they did, which is comfortable... Yeah, I, I, I'm buzzing for them. And the thing with Gloucester is their defence was ridiculously good, wasn't it? Like something that you talk about Lewis Rees Samet's breaks and, and the excitement that they've got, but they're playing and working for each other ridiculously hard. Their defence was phenomenal. Series looked pretty good on the top of the table clash, Jim. Unbelievable. So good. I was worried about that game against Sale, actually, just where Sale have been tracking Alex Sanderson going back, the emotion around that, the fact that Saracens had a bucket load of changes. They're the second slash third string Front row, Owen Farrell wasn't playing, Maratoji wasn't playing, the Vodapolers weren't playing. But you did kind of know with the emotion leading up to Alex Goods becoming the highest cap player to ever play for Saracens, the fact that they're at home, that they would be there emotionally. And they didn't start great, to be honest with you, but I just thought the performance was 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 outstanding. I thought Nick Tompkins, again, was unreal. Uh, tweeted about Theo McFarland, and it's a big statement, and I'm happy to back it up. I think it, I think he's not far away from being better than Marrow. And I say that, people are like, what are you on about? You know, Marrow's an international place for England. I'm on about in the Premiership and standout moments. Like, I'm talking about a player that is like head and shoulders standing out above any player on the pitch, which is what Marrow does. Very different players. Marrow's a noise around the breakdown, around the line out and all these things. But for out-and-out athleticism and headline moments, Theo McFarland, he's a phenomenon. Yeah. Like, he absolutely is. So, yeah. uh, it was awesome to watch him in full flow again. I thought Jackson Ray, again, rocked up at number eight. But it was all about Alex Good. Rightly so, got man of the match. The lead-up to that, Goody, I know you tweeted about it. Sale, physical, like they're gnarly, they hustle. They just didn't have as much, did they, in attack? We've spoken about Saracen's attack, the way that they offload, getting the ball into the wider channels. They rightly deserve to be top of the league with whatever team that they put out. They were phenomenal. Yeah, they were good. I think the big thing, Sale will be really frustrated because they had loads of opportunities. Their game management was poor. I think George Ford comes in and makes a huge difference later on in the season. Had he had played, they'd have probably taken two or three chances and, and won the game. The big turning point was, I think it was Nick Tompkins that held up. That was an unbelievable tackle. Yeah, it was. To read that. But it should have been a penalty to sale because Alex Good was about a yard offside. His hands were <laughs> well, way offside. But then they nah. go down the other... He was, he was offside. So Yeah, but mate, it was 300 odd games, mate. You can get, <laughs> let him off just this one. Go on. True, I will. But Wayne Barnes refereed, let him get away with it. But then they go up the other end and score. For me, the big question, Jim, there was all the Saracens legends there doing a, you know, the, the, the walk for Alex Good and... You know, giving him a, a tunnel to go through. Where, where were you? I thought you were a Saracens legend, James. There was no buses. There was no taxis on Saturday night, <laughs> a.k.a. Sunday morning. Couldn't justify it. Got asked to go. Promise you, couldn't justify it. Family yeah. first. Hashtag. Yeah, there we go. But uh, no, they look good, Saracens. Sale will be frustrated with themselves. Uh, discipline wasn't great. And their game management was poor. That cost them the game. But credit to Saracens. Theo McFarland, best player in the Premiership. Quinns came back from 14-0 down at halftime to beat London Irish 26-24. What do you guys make of the incident involving Charlie Matthews at the end? Ref, Craig Maxwell-Keys and the TMO, Claire Hodnett, have got it completely wrong. Bottom line, you see Van Rensburg catches the ball, Charlie Matthews run over. I don't even think he tries to catch the ball. He just takes him out in the air. He's got a forearm across him. He's not trying to catch it. Definitely a penalty. Definitely, to me, at least a yellow card. And that's what turned the game effectively. They would have won. Irish would have won the game. It, it was a decent game, actually. And obviously, there was a couple of red cards in it. And people are going, yes, but Ben Loder, uh, he took out Nick David earlier in the first half with the same thing. He didn't because 
Ben Loder caught the ball and it was a fair contest, whereas Charlie Matthews isn't even trying to catch the ball, in my opinion. So Craig, Maxwell Keys, and Claire Hodnett got it completely wrong. Big difference between the referees. You look at the uh, Scotland-Australia game where Luke Pearce is refereeing, where they make time and they say, we've got time, there's an injury. We will look at the decision and, and go through the steps and rigorously look at it with the TMO. In game-defining moments when the match is decided on a decision like that, you have to take your time. They kind of rush through it, and um, you know it, it was um, it was not good. And Irish should have won the game, but they'll be frustrated. Quinns should have beaten Exeter earlier in the season, as we've said. There was a forward pass for that try. So what goes around comes around, and hopefully Irish get one back later in the year. Yeah, if I was the Irish management, I'd be fuming. I'd be stinking. I don't know what I'd be smelling of, but I wouldn't be happy. That's all I know. So you've got to call it how it is. Like that's what you call bad luck. And Declan Kidney was quite reserved, wasn't he? The old kidney bean. He was like, oh, these things happen and, you know, everyone makes mistakes. But he didn't want to get himself in trouble. So uh, fair play to him because I'd have been raging. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, let's start with the good. And we're going to start off with our favourite Scottish player who's not Scottish anymore. Well, he is Scottish, but he's not playing for Scotland. Finn Russell gets mentioned in the good this week. He got 23 points for Racing and kicked 9 out of 10 from the tee. Set up a few tries as well for Rassin in their 43-38 victory down at my old club, Breve. So Finn Russell making points about how good he is. He's good. You should pick him this week, Gregor Townsend, but you won't. What else was good? We'll stay in France and Bayonne, Jim. They beat Toulouse 26-22. Didn't say it. Well, you didn't know, but it was an amazing atmosphere down at the Stade Jean Dogger. Not Dogger. Dogger. How do you say it? Mate, you say it, Dogger. That's what it's called. There you go. The Stad Jean Dogger. You go dog in there as well if you want, but uh, an amazing atmosphere down in Bayonne. Edinburgh are going to get a mention in the good this week, James. Scottish team, not the main Scotland team, but the Edinburgh Scotland team. Uh, they won away at Cardiff 25-17 in the URC, so big shout out to them. Sticking in the URC, Connacht get a mention this week. They won away at the Ospreys 22-19. So big shout out to the Connacht boys. Ulster are going to get a mention in the good as well. One of our favourite Irish teams. Who is our favourite Irish team, Jim? We're going to Dublin this week, so it's got to be Leinster. But Ulster are my favourite Irish team as well. They won 15-14 down at Munster for the first time since 2014. Great to see James Hume back as well, scoring a try. So big shout out to the Ulster boys. Let's go over to the Premiership then. Gloucester and Lewis Reese Samet get a mention. We spoke about them earlier. They are flying in the Premiership. They beat Exeter Chief Chief Chiefs on Friday night at the home. Uh, Lewis Reese Samet, he's basically found my blueprint of what I did when I played. You don't train all week. You watch the team run. Then you just rock up and get man the match. So uh, massive shout out to Lewis Reese Samet. Amazing effort from him. And well done to all the Gloucester boys. Northampton Saints get a mention in the good this week. And especially Alex Mitchell. They're on fire at the gardens. And they dispatched Bristol's pretty comfortably. They were absolutely spanking them. 38-7 I think at one point. So uh, Alex Mitchell was outstanding again. He got two tries and an assist. So well done to him. Theo McFarland gets a mention in the good this week. And Alex Good does. 339th appearance for Alex Good in breaking Chris Chesney's record. How good does Chris Chesney look as a debt collector as well, Jim? What a big human being that blows. All, all legit. All legit, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, Theo McFarlane and Alex Good get mentioned. Theo McFarlane, as we spoke about, ridiculously good. We say that most weeks, but he was great. Alex Good got a man of the match performance. Ten carries, three defenders beaten, two try assists, and his solo try, even though he did look like he was treading water and running in syrup, but he uh, managed to squeak through that gap and score pretty well. So Saracen's seven from seven. They get a mention in the good, but they don't win the good this week, Jim, because we're going to go left field with this one, and we're going to go to a team that often get a mention in the bad. Who do you reckon it could be, Jim? Breath. No, Breve lost to Racing this week. The good is going to go to Pooh. I mean, Poe. Pooh are going to get the good this week. They beat La Rochelle, the European champions, away from home. Didn't say it. 38 points to 21. Uh, a massive victory uh, in La Rochelle. So, big shout out to Poe. I mean, Poe. Yeah, definitely Poe. They weren't Poo this week, Poe. They were good. They beat the European champions away from home. So, Poe are going to get the good this week. Error. The bad few bits are bad. Uh, we're going to start with Scotland's discipline, James. They saw you in the crowd in the uh, nosebleed seats. They listened to you perhaps pre-match, but the team showed shades of Jim Hamilton at his best for Scotland. 14 penalties conceded and three line-outs lost, so uh, not good from Scotland at times. 
They're going to get a mention in the bad for that. Uh, La Rochelle just mentioned the fact that Pooh beat them. They get a mention in the bad. They lost to Pooh at home, 38-21. Zebra get a mention in the bad this week. They lost to the dragon, uh, the dregs, the sorry, the dragons. Forty-seven points to seven. Who gets pumped by the dragons, Jim? No one, absolutely no one, except for Zebra. Where's Dean? Where is Dean Ryan? Who knows? But anyway, uh, Zebra get a mention in the bad. Bristol's are going to get a mention in the bad as well this week. That's four straight losses for them in the Premiership with defeat at Northampton Saints after they won their first three games. They had sixty-six percent possession, sixty-four percent territory, but. They missed 23 out of 81 tackles, so they're going to be working on some defence for a few weeks. But the bad this week, to me, has to go to Craig Maxwell-Keys and Claire Hodnett, who was the TMO for the Harlequins against London Irish game. Personally, I think they got it completely wrong. London Irish should have had a penalty. Charlie Matthews should have been at least yellow-carded. That means Irish would have won the game. But no, they just said play on. It was a rugby incident, and Harlequins went on to win the game. So uh, the bad this week goes to Craig Maxwell-Keys and Claire Hodnett. Uh, The ugly, there's a fair few bits of ugly and a fair few red cards this weekend and some that should have been red cards that weren't. We're going to start off with Ben Donald's high shot uh, on Joe Marler. That was pretty ugly, head-on-head collision. But I'm also going to add in Joe Marler's reaction. Uh, You might want to look at his reaction as going up to Ben Donald when he's on the floor. You saw Ben Donald hit the deck. He was in a daze, a bit worried about concussion. He goes up to Ben Donald when he's down getting treatment and shouts at him, gives him a a good earful. Don't think that's the right way forward, Joe. So perhaps he needs to look at his behaviour as well. Uh, Nick David uh, gets a mention in the ugly as well. His high shot on Luca Morisi. That was also a red card and pretty ugly, uh, even though Nick David is a beautiful looking human being, isn't he, Jim? Yeah, he is. Well, he's not my type, but I can see where people might think that. There you go. Uh, what else was ugly? Brody Retallick. Not him per se, but... Well, he ain't all, he ain't all paint, is he? <laughs> well, you're right. He's not. He's not. Uh, but yeah, Brody Retallick's clear out of uh, Kazuki Himeno gets to mention the ugly this week as does my mate Malachi Fekitoa Fekitoa now that's a red all day it is a red all day long he should have been sent off for his high shot for Munster against Ulster uh, so that gets a mention in the ugly but the ugly this week goes to Tom Echoshard's hit on David Niniashvili for Perpignan against Leon. it was only given as a yellow card but it was an absolutely shocking shoulder to the head should have been a red as well so Tom Echoshard you get the ugly this week thanks Goody and you guys have got a couple of shout outs to finish off with don't you yeah, we have. Good, are you doing Movember this year? Uh, I've always got my beard, yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, I might go full tash, but it is Movember, it's around the corner, and this is a big shout-out to Fergus from the University of St. Andrews, who's actually a Movember ambassador, and he's wanted to kickstart the year with some fundraising efforts. So last year, they raised an incredible £20,000 for charity, so they're hoping to beat that this year. Of course they are with some great events coming up and held across their campus in St. Andrew's Path, which is where Prince William and Kate went. Completely irrelevant, but just in case you wanted to know. Lovely spot. Yeah, a massive shout out as well to Ballyclare RFC in County Antrim and Aaron Weir uh, in particular for their efforts in raising over £10,000 for My Name's Doddy Foundation so far. They're doing some amazing work at Ballyclare RFC, so a big shout out to everyone there. Well done, lads. Thanks, Scooty. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Robin. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spotty Pod, 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 Pod. pod.